0: You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit com. Historically, Christians have believed that the Bible is a collection of documents, letters, records, and histories that are a revelation from God. A revelation of what he wanted us to know about himself. in this bible you will find a lot of mysterious things mysterious ideas mysterious concepts mysterious events i mean the kind of things that will make you scratch your head and think "Mm, that's that's really hard to believe or That's really weird. That's very strange. Uh, That's that's kind of unusual. Maybe even some things that you'll think to yourself, well, that's kind of disturbing. It's off-putting. A lot of mysterious things in here. And anybody who tries to tell you differently has either never read it or they're not telling you the truth. And at the top of the list of mysterious things that you'll encounter in the Bible, at the top of the list or near the top of the list is probably this whole discussion about the Holy Spirit of God. In older translations, The Holy Spirit is rendered the Holy Ghost. Which doesn't help any. It just makes it all that much more spookier. And people have, you know, very deliberate ideas about whether they believe in ghosts or not. And and it doesn't help. I mean, we're all familiar with Casper, the friendly ghost. But a Holy Ghost, that's just weird. So... Over the next four Sundays, we're going to explore what the Bible has to offer us by way of an understanding of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at four different passages where the topic of the Holy Spirit is being discussed. And we're going to see what we can learn each week as we explore this very mysterious topic. We'll see if we can't make sense of some things. But we have to be comfortable. You ready? We have to be comfortable with some of it being mysterious. And hopefully we'll be able to explain that better. Now, before we go to the first story, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question, and it's this. Do you move toward the mysterious or do you run away from it? I mean, what's your personality type? What's your inclination? That if you encounter something that's mysterious or strange or different or out of the ordinary or unusual, do you find yourself moving toward it out of a curiosity, an intrigue, an interest, or you're like, no, nah, see, that's that's too strange, that's too weird, that that doesn't fit my categories, and so you move away from it and you dismiss it as being ridiculous. What's what's your nature? Because some of us are more comfortable with the mysterious, more curious and intrigued about things that we don't immediately understand. And and others, yeah, we we just don't do mysterious well. You know, I have a very good friend. We've known each other for 25 years. Um, Like one of my closest friends. We've spent a lot of time together doing a lot of things. And we talk a lot about the faith thing, but you know what? He and I believe very different things about God and about Jesus and about the Bible and about faith, like almost polar opposite sets of beliefs for 25 years we've been discussing it very freely the nature of our friendship the nature of our curiosities we talk a lot about the things that we believe and we believe very differently and it's wonderful to say that after 25 years i can honestly tell you we have never once never once had an argument we've never once come to some sort of an impasse where we said well you know what i i can't deal with you anymore i can't talk with you anymore about this we're just not gonna no it's always been a very pleasant open discussion and because of the nature of our friendship as men we give each other a hard time and he makes fun of what I believe and I poke fun at what he believes and one of the sticking points for him in this whole discussion about faith and God and Jesus and the Bible one of the sticking points for him is that he has a very literal mind he's incredibly intelligent he's well read he's very conversant about the things that he understands but he is very logical His categories are very tightly wound. He's a big believer in the sciences. It doesn't matter what the science is math, astrophysics, psychology, language reason rationale he he sticks to his categories and and what happens is that if something doesn't fit the mathematical equation of his categories then he dismisses it as being ridiculous it doesn't make sense it doesn't hold up it doesn't fit therefore i don't believe it i don't buy it so it's been interesting over the years he's always referred to me as being a bit naive He says, Paul, how in the world do you believe this stuff? And I've never had a comeback until recently. And I've decided that I now have a word for him. He thinks I'm naive. I think he's arrogant. And here's why. He's arrogant to believe that his tightly wound man-made systems demand that somehow an eternal sovereign God has to fit in them. It's the height of he- of human secularism that somehow human beings are at the center of the universe and the capstone of all intelligence. Never stopping to think that the reason that human beings have any intelligence is because God created the capacity in them to discover I mean, when we come right down to it, all of the sciences from math to engineering, to psychology, to reason and rationale and to logic, as good as they are, as sound as they are, as reliable as they are, and I'm a big fan of all of them because I actually think that they point toward God. But at the end of the day, all of these sciences, they're man-made definitions. They're created by human beings who have limits and it's just foolish to think that god has to submit to them mankind human secularists they think that they somehow have all the answers and i think god in heaven goes you haven't even asked all the right questions god does not submit to the structures of man-made systems he exists far beyond that. I mean just just look at these categories. There's there's truth, there's wisdom and intelligence, there's the sciences and all of their different expressions. There's fact, there's experience. So let's put the human understanding of these things up against an eternal sovereign God. We think we know what the truth is and God says, "I am truth." We think we know what wise is and then there's this God who's who's always been who understands life in a way that will never begin to comprehend intelligence god's like saying catch up sciences god says i created your capacity to understand those things experience doesn't even begin to match The experience of God. When you stop to think about the sciences, all of them have increased, expanded, or evolved, or improved over the centuries. Centuries ago, people believed ridiculous things for us who live in the 21st century. And with the advance of technology and the development of intelligence, we've come to see that those things were not true. So what are we going to understand 25 years from now that we think is fact? but see, that doesn't happen with God. He's way ahead of all of that. The progress of intelligence over the centuries is just humanity trying to catch up to what God has always always known. So here's the point. What is intellectually challenging or mysterious doesn't mean it's untrue it just means that we may not understand it does that make sense so there's some things that we're going to look at in this series that border on the mysterious they're beyond sort of the comprehension of even our most intelligent equations but that doesn't mean that they're not true it just means that they're different and unusual Did you know that there was a place in church history where the early followers of Jesus Christ, they had never even heard of the Holy Spirit. They knew nothing about it. It was all new to them. In fact, we have this interesting passage in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul was beginning to travel throughout the, you know, the, the biblical world at the time or the world that the Bible encompasses. And he comes to this city that he'd never been in before. And he asked, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? And look at the response. They answered, no, we, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. That truth, that message, that mystery hadn't even been introduced to them. And you know what? It's not hard for me to believe that in this room or online today, there's probably a few people would go, yeah, preacher, if if I was being completely honest, I know nothing about this. And I go, that's wonderful. We're all gonna begin at a place where we're just going to be curious so i'm inviting you come from curious over the next four weeks don't let the strange the unfamiliar the mysterious immediately put up your defenses and say oh i don't want to learn anything about that i don't want to hear any more about that I, i we don't have to go to church the next three sundays don't don't do that don't do that come from curious invite invite yourself to be intrigued, or at least interested. But here's the deal. And I believe this to the bottom of my heart. This is Sybil Creek Community Church. You choose. You're an intelligent adult human being. You choose what you do with the information that we provide. You don't have to believe it. But don't push it away and reject it because it doesn't fit some categories. At least be interested. And who knows? Who knows what could become of this discussion in your life? Does that make sense? All right, so let's go to the first story. The the first time that the whole topic of the Holy Spirit really comes up in any kind of concrete or specific way. And guess who introduces it? Jesus Now, it's an interesting context. Um, If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in John chapter 14, Gospel of John chapter 14. But let me give you the background. So, at about the age of uh, 30, Jesus arrives on the public scene as a Jewish rabbi. He wasn't the only Jewish rabbi of his day, he was just one of many, but he was very unusual. Jesus said things that other rabbis weren't saying. He was making claims and promises that other rabbis weren't. And the word on the street is that he was doing some things that no other rabbi could imagine doing. Things that we describe as miracles. Jesus comes on the scene and his followers begin to put the puzzle together and they recognize Jesus to be the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. He was the Messiah come to earth And what was the Messiah's role? He was going to be an anointed one, the king of Israel. And in their hearts and their minds, Jesus offered the prospect that he was going to deliver Israel from Rome. And that they would become an an independent, autonomous nation for the first time ever in their history. And they were pretty excited about that. So about three years, Jesus does the rabbi thing. They're learning from him. They're seeing some amazing, mysterious things happening. And they're beginning to place a deeper, fuller trust in him as the Messiah. And then somewhere around the three-year mark, Jesus starts talking about leaving. Like going somewhere else. And it sounds like, He's not taking anybody with him. Like he's going wherever he's going alone. And this this shatters the foundation of the disciples' belief. Their faith was like, no, you're the Messiah, come to deliver us from Rome, but now you're leaving? Where are you going? And so in John chapter 14, we read this passage. He says to his disciples, Guys, well, he didn't say, Guys. He says, Do not let your hearts be all worked up, be all disturbed, distressed, and worried. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Well, believe also in me, Jesus, having made many equations or many statements that he was God. Believe also in me. My father's house where I'm going has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going to go there to prepare a place for you. I I wouldn't have gotten your hopes up. I wouldn't have lied to you. I wouldn't have misled you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, Thomas like, but Lord, we don't know where you're going so how can we know the way and jesus answered i'm the way i'm the way i'm the truth i'm the true way and i am the life folks one of the most important statements in all of the scriptures No one comes to the father except they come through me. That's why Jesus referred to himself as the door. He is the only way that a human being can make their way to a holy, righteous God. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. How? Because they've seen Jesus. Jesus was God come to earth, it was God with them. So, again, if you have your Bibles, come with me to John chapter 14. Now we're going to drop down to verse 15. It says this, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the father. Are you ready? You guys listening? If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will, I, Jesus, will ask the father. let that sink in I will ask the father and he the father will give you another advocate some translations render it counselor I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you for how long forever and this, this other advocate has a name. He's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. Do you hear that? So this is the first time that Jesus is introducing to his disciples this idea of the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting. It's interesting how he talks about it. He says, Jesus, I, I'm going to ask the Father, and the Father is going to send another advocate, which is just another one of the many clues throughout the scriptures that God exists in a trinity. Jesus asking the Father to send another counselor. Or another advocate so let's let's look at this language this another advocate now there's really important words here and one of the words is another you're like well i didn't expect that one to be that important no it's really important you see um in the language of greek which jesus would have been speaking in which this was recorded there's two words in the greek language that can be rendered another One of them has to do with another of a different kind. One of them has to do with another of the same kind. Let me see if I can illustrate that. So if we're talking about fruit and you have an apple and a banana, it's fruit, so it's of a same kind, but it's another kind. There's the apple and there's the banana. Did you follow that? Come on, that was pretty simple. (laughs) Then there's a Greek word that says another of the same kind. So if you have two apples, two maybe different types of apples, but they're both the same fruit, the same kind, and they're the same because they're apples. So the word that Jesus is using here is another of the same kind so i'm asking the father to send another advocate what does that imply that the way in which jesus had been an advocate this holy spirit who was going to come to them was going to do the same sort of advocating was going to be the same makeup the same personality the same role as jesus in fact jesus is implying he's every bit as much god as i'm god the holy spirit is god in the same way that the father is god and that i the son am god it's the same of another kind and then we come to this word oh i'm sorry Jesus used a Greek word describing another of the same kind. The Holy Spirit is an advocate in the same way that Jesus was an advocate. And the Holy Spirit is identical to Jesus. The Holy Spirit was sent to fill Jesus's shoes. Do you follow that? Okay, so let's look at this word advocate. It's a, it's a word coming out of the judicial system one who speaks for represents defends a helper in a court of law one who pleads another's cause before a judge in court one who accompanies one who helps this is the holy spirit that jesus was asking the father to send to his disciples that he would be one who represented and defended them one who was a helper The Holy Spirit is a defender of our behalf before a holy, righteous God and pleads our case that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been saved. We've been made right with God. He's one who accompanies us. He's with us all the time. His name is the spirit of truth, meaning that the Holy Spirit traffics in the truth. He's never going to lie. He's an advocate of authenticity. Now, listen to me. The Holy Spirit of God at work in our life is never, ever going to lie to us. Meaning, He's never going to tell us things just to make us feel better. When we explore the whole idea, and we'll do this in another message throughout this series, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit convicting our hearts making us aware of the wrong that we are doing he's never going to let us off the hook he's god he's patient he's understanding he's gracious but he's never going to tell us something just to make us feel better he's always going to tell us the truth because that's the nature of the holy spirit does that make sense all right come on back down to the passage john chapter 14 come on down to verses 25 through 27. All of this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And he will remind you everything I've said to you. Jesus ends this passage of a context where they're very upset and anxious about Jesus leaving. He says, Peace, I'm leaving it with you. My peace that I've been giving, I'm giving it to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So in this passage, he says, the spirit will teach you all things. So one of the roles that the advocate plays in the life of a disciple of Jesus is that of a teacher. He's going to teach us about the things that we need to understand in relationship to God's work in our life. And he will remind you of everything I've said to you. So the disciples, they didn't have a Bible. They hadn't written the gospels. The book of Acts and Romans and 1 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, they didn't exist at the time. All they had was what they had heard Jesus say. And Jesus is promising them that the spirit of God would remind them of the things that Jesus said so that they could bank on them as they moved out into their world. The Holy Spirit helps Christ followers, should be followers, my bad, The Holy Spirit helps Christ followers understand what they study in the Bible and then reminds them of what they learned when they need it. So as the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives today as 21st century disciples of Jesus. And as we study the Bible and become more familiar with God's design for the way that we are to live our lives, then what happens? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Then when I'm at work, are at school, in a neighborhood, in an interesting situation with some friends, and I'm being called or challenged to live my life as a Christian, it's the Holy Spirit who will remind us of the things that we've studied in God's word about how we are to live in those situations when we don't have a Bible with us. But I need to add this. He, he can't remind you of something you've never learned. Now, He's God, and yes, He could, but He's not going to draw upon an empty well. If we're not studying the scriptures, if we're not seeking to understand what it is that God would have us to know about how we are to live our lives, it's going to be really hard, really difficult for the Spirit of God to remind us of any of it if we've never put it in our mind in the first place. That's why it's so critical that we as Christ followers are regularly reading and studying the scriptures as a way to understand what Jesus taught so that the Holy Spirit of God can remind us about what it is that he's promised to do in our lives as we seek to obey him. So here at this first story, we learn about six things. You guys ready? Ready? First of all, we learn that the Holy Spirit is God. I'm I'm going to ask the father, Jesus said, I'm going to ask the father to send another comforter of the same kind, another advocate of the same kind, the Holy Spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit is as much God as the father and as the son. The second thing that we learn that the Holy Spirit exists to do one thing, well, to do several things, but ultimately he's here To help you. That's his nature. Is to help you and I as followers of Jesus. To navigate our world as Christians. He's on your side. He's got your back. He wants you to win. He's got your best in mind. He exists to help you. It's the nature of an advocate to help the one whom he accompanies. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. Now, I know, I know. See, that's the spooky part. And that makes people feel like, kind of like, wait a second, you're telling me they lives inside of me? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. The Apostle Paul said it interesting in another interesting way in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter six. He says, don't you know? Maybe, maybe you've never heard that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you. And this is Mother's Day, right? I mean, that, Come on, that was an easy question. It's Mother's Day, right? <laughs> One of the favorite things my mom used to always tell me, I'd say, mom, can I, can I go and do this with these people? And she'd go, sure, just remember the Holy Spirit's in you. So, whatever you're doing, he's doing. <laughs> that changes our plans. <laughs> Folks, this is the mysterious. This is the faith kind of stuff that the eternal God of the universe inhabits you. in the presence of the Holy Spirit, a spirit who cannot be localized or defined by space. He can be in every one of us equally. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. The Holy Spirit, he's always with you. I don't care where you're going, what you're doing, what you're going through the spirit of God who lives inside of you is with you in those moments. There is never a moment ever that you are free of or independent of the Holy Spirit of God who was placed inside of you. The Holy Spirit helps you understand Jesus's instructions. You have to appreciate that our natural mind when reading the Bible, we're not gonna get it. It's the spirit of God who helps open our eyes to understand what it is that we're reading when it doesn't make sense to us. The Holy Spirit helps you understand Jesus's instructions and the Holy Spirit will remind you about Jesus's instructions when you need to hear them. Driving down I-10, standstill traffic, you really need to be somewhere and you're getting so impatient and somebody cuts you off and there's a thing you would love to do and the spirit of God says, no, no. That's not what a follower of Jesus would do. And if we listen, we go with a gracious, kind spirit. You've just come home from the doctors and the news wasn't good. You're scared. The spirit of God says, it's gonna be okay because I'm with you in this. Jesus left you his peace with me and I'm inside of you. And we're gonna get through this. Folks, this understanding of these things is incredibly important to how we go about living our lives. This isn't just some you know, theological trivia that we spout back when somebody asks us, Tell me what you know about the Holy Spirit. No, this is about changing the way that we live our life. Because here's what I want you to understand. You and I, we have an enemy. His name is Satan. And he does not want the life of Jesus to prevail in you. And so what he does is he lies and he deceives and he manipulates and he intimidates. And he doesn't want you to believe the things that are true and right and good. He's seducing you away from everything that Jesus has for you. And if we're not careful, we can be seduced by those lies and we can live in those lies all week, all month, all year. We can live as if the things that Jesus told us aren't true. And the whole time, there's a spirit from God who lives in you and he wants to help you. And one of the ways that he will help you is he will remind you that I'm with you. So if you're in those moments where it feels like God doesn't understand what your life like is like here on this earth, or you feel like God is so far away that he's absent, or you feel like God is so so clueless about what's going on in your marriage and in your home and at your job and with your health. I'm here to remind you that according to Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit of God to remind you that none of that is true. The God who dwells inside of you can never leave you can never forsake you because he is always with you.